morning, everyone. And thank you all for remembering to come here at 10 o'clock to worship this morning. Thank you. And I hope you weren't too offended by the reminder I sent out of that last night or this morning. So, welcome to you all. And a very warm welcome to Reverend Anthony Craig, who is going to be leading us in worship this morning. And I'd like to thank Anthony for giving up his time and to prepare for this morning. He doesn't need any other introduction because he's a well-established figure here at Belhelby in various ways, particularly from the pulpit. As for the usual procedures, I'm sure you're all familiar with them, but uh, if you turn over a card that was in front of you on the pew board so that the cleaners know uh, exactly where the cleaners be concentrated afterwards. And we will leave the church at the end of the service by vestry here. And if you have your offering or anything, then there is a tray just here for putting your offering in. And finally, we are not allowed to sing. You do not take off your masks when singing and sing to your heart's content. I'll have you one and two after. Thank you, Alan. It's lovely to be here. And not only did you get here at 10 o'clock, you found your way through the mist. <laughs> there was solid mist all the way from Colston, I can tell you. So I think I'm going to light the candle and we're going to make it work. Just to remind us that Jesus is the light of the world and the sun is up there somewhere. But uh, let us begin with. <coughs> first reading is taken from the New Testament, from James chapter 3, verses 2 to, through to 12. All of us often make mistakes, but if a person never makes a mistake in what he says, he is perfect and is also able to control his whole being. We put a bit into the mouth of a horse to make it obey us, and we are able to make it go where we want. Or think of a ship, big as it is, and driven by such strong winds, it can be steered by a very small rudder, and it goes wherever the pilot wants it to go. So it is with the tongue, small as it is, it can boast about great things. Just think how large a forest can be set on fire by a tiny flame. 
and the tongue is like a fire. It is a world of wrong, occupying its place in our bodies and spreading evil through our whole being. It sets on fire the entire course of our existence with the fire that comes to it from hell itself. Human beings can tame and have tamed all other creatures, wild animals, birds, reptiles, and fish. But no one has ever been able to tame the tongue. It is evil and uncontrollable, full of deadly poison. We use it to give thanks to our Lord and Father and also to curse other people who are created in the likeness of God. Words of thanksgiving and cursing pour out from the same mouth. My brothers and sisters, this should not happen. No spring of water pours out sweet water and bitter water from the same source. A fig tree, my brothers and sisters, cannot bear olives. A grapevine cannot bear figs. Nor can a salty spring produce sweet water. Amen. Pat, well, let's think about something we do, we all do, every day in different amounts and in different ways, talking. Good times, bad times, happy thoughts, sad thoughts, serious stuff, silly stuff, we talk about it all. Now, in our reading there, James the Apostle comes down pretty heavily on foolish talking. He's saying that the tongue is one of the smaller organs in the body, though it is like a bit at the end of a horse's rein that guides the horse, or like a rudder that turns the whole ship. The tongue can alter the course of the whole body. Even worse, it's like fire. It can spread from a tiny spark to a whole forest. Now we're hearing about nasty wildfires in British Columbia, and we've heard about more in Australia and elsewhere in recent summers. <clears throat> a few years ago, there was an almost exact case of what James is talking about, the tongue setting a forest ablaze. A park ranger in the American West was so angry with a letter that her ex-partner had sent her that she took it out and burnt it. Uh, <clears throat> unfortunately, she was in the forests of Montana or somewhere. Words of anger written and no doubt spoken uh, earlier, leapt into flame and set fire to thousands of acres of trees, all destroyed by human bad-mouthing. James had obviously come through some rough experiences of people saying things that burnt him up or seared and scarred 
the friendships that should have been at the heart of the fellowship of the early Christians in Jerusalem. This whole piece in his letter about the evils of the tongue comes straight after the words in, in his letter. So then, as a body without the spirit is dead, so also faith without actions is dead. Faith without actions. Maybe he had had bad experiences of people who talked faith with their mouths, but then didn't live it out, or others who took part in the actions of the church, but then sounded off in a nasty way that hurt and harmed other people. He wanted to see actions matched to words and vice versa. And he makes that interesting point that you don't get sweet and salty water from the same spring or grapes and figs off the same plant. And although we humans are part of the natural world, it's one of the differences between us and the rest of nature that we are capable of harboring both good and evil in our hearts. The tongue is capable of producing blessings and curses from the same mouth. How untamable is the tongue? Strong words indeed, and a, a helpful reminder where there is a good deal of physical suffering from war, from famine, or violence in the streets or the home, a reminder that words can cause as much, sometimes even more, suffering. Not just the words of hate, but also thoughtless words, words which just show how little someone understands or cares. And we all do it from time to time. As a philosopher king who wrote the book of Ecclesiastes in the Old Testament said, never be rash with your mouth, nor let your heart be quick to utter a word before God, for God is in heaven you are on earth, therefore let your words be few. So after this thinking about how we talk, let's take a look soon at how important it is that sometimes we should choose not to talk, to take time alone, the power of silence. And at this point, I was going to neither talk nor be silent, but to sing. So, Alan, can we sing, or are we going to get some music? Thumbs up in the high place. So, we're going to sing 463, Fairest Lord Jesus.
Now Jenny is going to lead us in our prayers of thanksgiving and for others. Let us pray. Almighty God, we bring to you our grateful thanks for the many blessings we have, for the changing seasons, the beauty of flowers and birds and animals around us, for the growing crops and the food we receive, for the companionship of friends and families, and the way your love for us shows through them. We thank you for the people who have taught us and inspired us and encouraged us, for the health to be here today and the faith to trust you for the future. And so we bring before you those who suffer from the storms of life, the man-made disasters, wars and hunger, miseries forced on others, whether by force of arms or just the easy words of criticism made by overactive tongues. We pray for governments and leaders that they may think carefully and act generously. We pray for our health staff here and abroad as they work hard to vaccinate and to keep up with other illnesses. And we pray with all those suffering pain and hurts more personal, the heavy weight of depression, the sadness of broken relationships, the struggle to cope with bereavement. Jesus, you told us that your yoke is easy and your burden is light. So we bring these things before you, asking for your peace. We ask for the lifting of burdens and the loosening of the fears that so easily grip us, to let the light of heaven disperse them as the sun lifts the summer har. We thank you that we have the chance to join together here today, and in your spirit, also with the faithful who have gone before us, so that these and more prayers we bring to you day by day in the confidence that you are listening, that your love links heaven and earth through Jesus, our Lord, our Saviour, our friend. Amen. Thank you, Jenny. I have a second reading now. And it's from Mark chapter 9, verses 2 to 13. And it's the well-known story of the transfiguration on the mountain. Six days later, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John, and led them up a high mountain where they were alone. As they looked on, a change came over Jesus, and his clothes became shining white, whiter than anyone in the world could wash them. Then the three disciples saw Elijah and Moses talking with Jesus. Peter spoke up and said to Jesus, Teacher, how good it is that we are here. We will make three tents, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He and the others were so frightened that he did not know what to say. 
Then a cloud appeared and covered them with its shadow, and a voice came from the cloud, This is my own dear son. Listen to him. They took a quick look round, but did not see anyone else. Only Jesus was with them. As they came down the mountain, Jesus ordered them, Don't tell anyone what you have seen until the Son of Man has risen from death. They obeyed his order, but among themselves, they started discussing the matter, what does this rising from death mean? And they asked Jesus, why do the teachers of the law say that Elijah has to come first? His answer was, Jesus is indeed coming, (coughs) Elijah is indeed coming first in order to get everything ready. Yet why do the scriptures say that the Son of Man will suffer much and be rejected? I tell you, however, that Elijah has already come, and that people treated him just as they pleased, as the scriptures say about him. Now we sing again, and it's hymn 355. You, Lord, are both man and shepherd.
In following that earlier reading from the Apostle James, maybe I've been stressing too much the negative effects of uttering wrong words. That is important for us to consider. But what about no words? What I'd really like to emphasize today is the positive effect of silence. Silence in today's world is one of the hardest things to do, to find space apart, to find quietness in the midst of the hustle bustle of the world. But look at anyone who stands out today or in any age as close to God and you will see that this is a quality that they have in their lives. Jesus himself is the greatest example of all. Here's someone who's rarely left alone. He's always being hustled by crowds of people. Everywhere he goes, people flock to hear him talk, to ask for a healing or a blessing for their children. His whole waking life seems to be busy, busy with noise and clamor from other people. But even though the Gospels are only short accounts of his life, it's remarkable the number of instances that you can pick up of times when Jesus separated himself, went off alone or with very few others to pray, to be with God. His whole ministry starts just after his baptism with 40 days in the wilderness with only the wild beasts and the devil, of course, for company. And that time of solitude prepares him for all the activity and struggle of his life which is to follow. That's a special time, but there are also shorter times. Before he chooses the 12 disciples, the people who are to be closest to him, he goes off alone, as we're told in the Gospel of Luke. When he hears about John the Baptist being put to death by King Herod, he goes off on his own. After feeding the 5,000, when you remember he'd also been talking to the people all day, and that must surely have taken spiritual force out of him, he goes away to pray. And on another occasion, after a long night's work in Simon Peter's home, healing and caring for people, he gets up very early, long before daylight, to go out of the town to a lonely place. And when the twelve apostles return from uh, their tour of preaching and healing, he says to them, come away by yourselves to a lonely place. Time and again, Jesus responds to physical effort and physical and spiritual struggle is to step back, take the space to meet with God, to be alone. Human beings are sociable animals. On the whole, they find lonely places a bit daunting. Some people do go off on holidays alone, but thousands of others want to cram into cruise ships or onto beaches packed like sardines, maybe less just at the moment, but everybody seems to be determined to do it when they can. And now more people in the whole world live in cities than do in rural areas. For one reason or another, we choose to be crowded. Human contact, of course, is necessary, but the trouble with noise and bustle 
is that it becomes addictive. People can't do without it. So we get music in every shop. We carry it around with us as we walk or travel. We have a multiplication of channels on the radio and TV. We get very unused to silence. Have you ever heard uh, an unscheduled silence on the radio? People are talking in some chat show, someone says something, and there's a pause. Nobody says anything, maybe because they're a little confused as to whose turn it is. But you, the listener, immediately sense there's something wrong. Nobody's talking, for goodness sake. There's silence. Ah! There has to be something wrong. That's the stage we've got to. Because we have the technology to fill our lives minute by minute with chatter and noise, we do it so that we're never left alone. That's the great fear of the modern world. There are more people on earth than ever in history, but we have a great fear of loneliness. Jesus calls us from loneliness to solitude. Loneliness or clatter are not the only alternatives in our lives. We can cultivate an inner solitude and silence that sets us free from loneliness and fear. Loneliness is inner emptiness. Solitude is inner fulfillment. Solitude is not first a place, but a state of mind and heart. Jesus physically took himself away to lonely places, isolated. But even in the midst of crowds, he had what you might call heart solitude. That is, he brought the inner peace he found in the lonely places back into his life in the crowds. And our reading from Mark tells us one of the times that Jesus went in search of solitude with God, when Jesus took Peter, James, and John up the lonely mountain with him, they entered into an experience that was so strange and so God-filled that they were clearly rattled. The light of heaven surrounded Jesus, and they saw him talking with Moses and Elijah. Now, there are many sermons to be taken from the different aspects of this amazing story, but I want to focus just on verses 5 and 6. They tell us that good old Peter spoke up and said to Jesus, Teacher, how good it is that we are here. We will make three tents for you and Moses and Elijah. And the gospel writer Mark adds, Peter and the others were so frightened that he didn't know what to say. He didn't know what to say. The point is, he didn't need to say anything. Nobody was actually asking him to say anything. But poor Peter, so much like the rest of us human beings, he couldn't bear the silence, the strangers. He felt he had to say something. Why do we fear silence? Why does it sometimes make us feel uncomfortable? Is it because it makes us feel helpless, out of control? Peter was chattering the way we so often do in place of listening and learning. Jesus had taken him 
and the others up the lonely mountain away from all the crowds so that they could see, listen and learn something new about him and about his father and their father, God Almighty. Don't let ourselves miss out what God is offering. Let us try to find that place and that space in our lives that gives us the heart solitude, which is not loneliness, but is the closest possible fellowship with Jesus. And the great thing is that although it can be hard to find quiet, with not too much effort, there are practical ways of going about finding the blessings of space and silence, and they they don't always require you to go away to a lonely place. Consider a few points. Remembering James, guard your tongue. Think what you say and what you're saying it for. Take moments of little solitude, rounding a corner when you see a flower, looking out of the window at the trees and the sky, sitting on the bus going into Aberdeen, wherever. At home, choose a space, even a chair, that is your place for silence. Take a longer time sometimes to shut off the radio or TV or to listen to the sound of silence. And why all this? What's the reason for this discipline of solitude, of silence? It's all about making space for God in our lives, to let him come in, even to speak to us, to let him recharge us, redirect us. Now, I think my wife is going to be smiling behind her mask because I have a confession to make. I'm actually not good at this. I believe in everything I've just said to you about the need for silence, about the importance of making space in our lives for God to speak or simply to sit quietly and worship him by admiring the creation he's made around us, even about turning off the radio and TV. I believe it all. I'm just not very good at it. Though I'm pushing 80 years old, I'm still learning. But maybe it could be a privilege of growing older that we have less need to talk and can find more time to listen to God. We can banish loneliness by finding space to enjoy solitude with Jesus. Amen. Final hymn, 606. Lord, you sometimes speak in wonders.
Be with you now and with all whom you love forever.